Well, friends, last week we were talking about repentance, and we were talking about the urgency for personal repentance. And one of the things that follows after that is how we react to those around us who are repenting and, and who are still lost. And sometimes, sometimes when, uh, when we haven't had that experience of, of being so utterly lost, we get very skeptical about those who all of a sudden claim to be found. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning in, in the Gospel of Luke. Let me pray for us, and we're going to study the Word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us, as always, to do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. It was a dark and dreary day in the fall of 1984. It had been a very, very rough summer. There was a new baby in the house, and for the first time in in the whole history of my six-year-old existence, I was not the only little girl in the house. And I was pretty sure at this point that every significant adult in my life was obsessed with the pretty little blonde-haired, blue-eyed little bundle of chubbiness that was my sister. That at this point, it really didn't matter what I did. So I decided that I would test that theory out. So one day, mom and I were standing in the aisle of a department store, and there it was, just calling to me. It was a tiny little spiral-bound notebook about this big that had Charlie Brown and Snoopy on the front cover. And I don't remember the cost of this, but we're going back 30 years, so I'm guessing it was some extraordinary sum, like 25, 30 cents. But it was money that I didn't have. So... I looked to the left, and I looked to the right, and then I looked to make sure that mom was preoccupied, and right then and there, I stole it. I just slid it right into the long-sleeve shirt that I was wearing, and it rested safely against my wrist, and mom checked out, we walked out, and nothing happened. Nothing ever happened. Not when we got home, Not the next day, not even the next week. Nothing happened. Even when I left it on the dining room table in full view of everybody, nobody even noticed. Now, I knew it was wrong. Even at six, I knew that it was wrong. And it weighed heavy on my heart about this wrongness that I had done. And and, and so I I got to a point where after the thrill wore off, I was just waiting to be found. I wanted somebody to find out, to be relieved of this burden that, that I was carrying. But it never happened. And so I just stayed lost. And in my little six-year-old heart, I came to realize that, that being lost it is worse than being found and suffering the consequences that come with being found. There is, there is a value to finding something and a value to being found. Jesus tells three different stories, three different stories of being found back to back in the passage in Luke. The first story was the one with the shepherd with a hundred sheep. One, just one, that's all we're talking about is one goes missing and the shepherd leaves behind 99 others looking for the one. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? 
wouldn't 99 be enough for some people? I mean, for most of us, that's, that's pretty good, 99. But what if you were the one? What if you were, were the one? What if your child was the one that needed to be found? What if you were diagnosed with cancer and the doctor came to you and said, great news, this is 99% curable, but you, you are the one. All of a sudden, the value of one increases exponentially, especially when you're talking about real life and real people. To one, to that one, regardless of how it is that they have gone missing, there is a deep desire to be found. Even if they can't articulate it, don't think that they want it, and even actively protest it. All of us want to be found. We want to know that somebody is looking for us. We want to matter, and we want somebody to love us in spite of ourselves. What's unique in this parable is that the other sheep, and to be fair, they are sheep, while not necessarily aware that one of their own has gone missing, they do not protest the shepherd when he goes off to find them. Why, why is that? Well, we're going to assume that this is a good shepherd, and I think that's a good assumption because Jesus described himself as the good shepherd. And a good shepherd loves his sheep. So he loved the ones that he left. And out of love, they would have been in a place of safety. The shepherd would have assured that before he went to go looking for the one. They would have been left in a place of community where they would have each other to support them and encourage them to gain the strength that they would need. He did not abandon them. He did not leave them exposed to the enemy. He made sure they were secure because he loved them so much. But it wasn't good enough for 99 to be secure and for one to be out there lost and alone. Now I want you to imagine that you are that one. You are going to imagine yourself as a sheep. And you're out there on a hike in the meadow with all of your friends and a butterfly comes along and you get distracted. Before you know it, you are tangled in a thicket. The odds are no longer in your favor. You have made some bad choices, you took your eyes off the prize, and now here you are and you are stuck. And you can't escape. This is not going to end well for you. Because either a predator is going to come along and you will be somebody's dinner, or the alternative is that you will starve to death. Either way, death becomes your destiny when you are lost. And unfortunately for you, death doesn't come easy. So you've got some time while you're standing there stuck in that thicket to think about this, and at some point, you're going to ask yourself this question. Is anybody looking for me? Does anybody even care? Does anyone even realize that I exist? Because all of us want to exist. We want to believe that our lives matter to somebody. But then sin happens. And the greatest joy for sin is to steal your sense of worth, your value. Because what sin does is is it destroys 
It destroys your beautiful. It reveals the ugliness, the bruises, the dents and scratches that devalue the stuff of the world. And if we stay in sin long enough, we start thinking that, you know what? We're just stuff. That's all we are. We're just stuff. And we have devalued ourselves to the point where we are worthless. And sin takes hold. Well, Jesus sees us differently. He sees us as redeemable. He sees us as filled with value and worth. And beyond that, he sees us as beautiful. And he means it. He really means it. It's not just some nice words to make you feel all warm and gooey inside. The way that we know that this is not just words is by the action that follows them. The shepherd goes out to find the sheep. Now, do you think that when that shepherd got to the sheep, he stood there and just scolded the sheep for hours before he realized it and then, and then brought the sheep home? If the shepherd knew the sheep, then he also knew that that particular sheep was already scared, already broken, already suffering. And the shepherd's job at that point is to bring him home safe. So instead, the shepherd goes ahead and frees him, brings him home, and then tells all of his friends how happy he is. Jesus says that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Why, Why is that? Because the one was so dangerously close to not making it. Because the final score was going to be 99%, not 100. Because it was going to be close, but it wasn't going to be whole, and it wasn't going to be complete. And because of that, the one, the one that stared death in the face, and because the good shepherd came in and gave him a new life, this is the cause for celebration. But I think Jesus realized that some of us are not sheep people, we're not animal people, we're we're not going to get that analogy. So he decides to talk about something that we do seem to get, and that's money. We have this woman, she has 10 silver coins, and one goes missing. So I want you to imagine it this way. You're going to buy your first home. You have found the home of your dreams. You are excited to buy this home. And you can get the mortgage to make it happen. Now, you quickly learn that the mortgage process is an arduous one, and it requires a ton of information from you. So you go and you get all of your paperwork together. And you deliver it all to your broker, to your banker, and you soon discover that you are missing one, just just one critical piece of information. Now, time is ticking on you, And you've got two choices. You either are going to get your act together and you're going to go find that piece that is missing, or you walk away and you lose the whole deal. If you choose to walk away because you don't really want to do the hard work of going to find something, then it can be said that what you were striving for really wasn't of value to you in the first place. When when our kids were little, we would fly back and forth to go see the grandparents. And up until a certain age, children can fly free as, as lap children. But in order to, provide, to, to prove that your child is under a certain age, you have to take an original copy of their birth certificate. 
So one time, when we just had my oldest, and she was still at that free-flying age, we were two days away from a trip to go see the grandparents, and we discovered that we could not find her birth certificate anywhere. So when that happened, we had some options. We could find it, we could go to extensive trouble and travel to go get her a new one, we could cancel our trip and incur the wrath of the grandparents, and that is a mighty motivator right there. Or, or, I mean, there's always the option that we could have left our infant daughter home alone and gone on the trip anyway. In, in the economy of worth, meaning how much are things worth to us, it was well worth it to Sung and I to find that birth certificate. And it took the better part of that two days for that certificate to be found. And when it was found, I assure you, brothers and sisters, there was great rejoicing. <laughs> great rejoicing. The almost 48 hours that it took to look for, look for that paled, paled in comparison to the value of two exhausted parents passing off their infant daughter to some very anxious and excited grandparents. And it paled in comparison to being surrounded by those who love you. And it paled in comparison to coming home and finding yourself face-to-face -face with children's services because you abandoned your child. <laughs> At the conclusion of this parable, Jesus is explaining how happy this woman is to find something that she lost because it was something that was of value to her. And he says that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is joy among the angels over those who do the hard work of being found in the presence of God. Because in order to be found in the presence of God, you have to turn towards God. And you cannot turn towards God unless you are willing to turn away from sin. And that takes work. Work is rooted in humility, in confession, in wanting something healthier for yourself than what your sins have gotten you. But I have to tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy. And the alternatives to this might seem fleetingly appealing because they are going to be easier and they're probably going to be quicker. So when it is that even so much is just one sinner, one who is lost, does that work of seeking to be found, all of the angels of heaven rejoice. And then you have the final parable. That's the most famous, the story of, of the prodigal son. You already heard, read, read it. But the recap is that you've got two sons. One wants his inheritance early. He dismisses his father, goes out, destroys his life. The other son stays behind, works for dad, keeps his nose clean, does everything he's supposed to do. One day, the son on the path of, of self-destruction returns. Dad goes, forgives him, throws him a big party, and the other son throws a temper tantrum in the front lawn. That's basically how that story goes. Friends, if you've never been lost, if it's never happened to you that you've been lost, then being found is never going to be a big deal to you. If your internal GPS is so perfect that you've never, ever, ever made a wrong turn, then it might be appealing to you to relate to this brother who stayed with the father the whole time. But let me tell you something. I've never actually met that brother in real life. 
mostly because I think he doesn't exist. It is common knowledge among my close friends and family that, that I am the world's most directionally deficient person ever in the whole history of, of forever, particularly when it relates to driving. So when GPS came along, it was quite the lifesaver, except for when it's not. And you know what I'm talking about if you're somebody who relies on GPS, because GPS can get you really close, but sometimes not quite there. So for example, while it is great that GPS can get me to Anna Maria Island, and after six years of living here, I can almost do it all by myself, Sometimes, sometimes I need a little bit more direction than just Anna Maria Island. Sometimes I have to find White Street or I have to find Pine Street. And, and I know that if I'm on the island that I'm somewhere in the vicinity, but I'm not at my final destination. That's a more accurate description of where most of us are when it comes to faith. Most of us can get in the general vicinity but to get to that final destination is not really an accurate description of, of where we are. Sometimes, though, we take a wrong turn and the GPS starts screaming at us, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. And my problem is, is that when I need the GPS the most, the turns are so close together that it doesn't reroute fast enough. And so then I get super lost. So despite my best efforts and GPS's best efforts, there are times when I just have to say, I, I'm lost. I am lost. And when the sun is going down and you're in a place that you don't recognize and you start realizing that maybe you're in a seedy part of town, your anxiety starts to go up because you understand what it feels like to be lost. And to be found in that moment then becomes a really big deal for you. So I want you to imagine then what it is like to be someone who has been driving for days, months, years in a blinding storm where every turn you take gets you further away from where you want to be to the point where you don't even know where you're going anymore. That is scary. That is a scary place to be. It feels hopeless to be in that place. And the word alone... You know, to be alone, that seems like an understatement. So at some point, at some point, you go and you ask for help. The beginning of, of being found, and it's often the hardest part of the journey, is admitting that you're lost, admitting that you want to be found, and admitting that you can't do it by yourself, that you've got to look for some help around you. So here's the good news, friends. Jesus is all about all about finding you. Three different ways he's tried to say it here. Three different examples. Three different approaches. All are about Jesus being about the work and the love and the compassion of finding us. He's already determined that we are worth looking for, that we're worth pursuing. And then there's celebration in the finding because the value the value of who you are in the kingdom of God is worth it. It is worth it. I carry that little Charlie Brown and, and Snoopy notepad with me into early adulthood. Not, not the physical book, but the lostness 
of what I had done. And more than that, I, I carried with me this deep desire to be found so that I wouldn't carry around the sins of a young child any longer. And in truth, for all of us, for reasons that are as varied as every person in this room, each of us truly wants to be found. We do. We want to be found wanted. We want to be found forgiven. We want to be found redeemed. Jesus is about all things, all people being found. Let's pray together. Lord God, as your people prepare to come to the table, remind us, remind us that it is significant that at the table we are wanted, not just welcomed, but wanted. And so when we come to the table, we acknowledge that we have been lost, that we are in the process of being found, that we are valued and loved and redeemed by the Savior of the world. Be with us in the breaking of the bread and in the sharing of the cup. Remind us that we are precious in your sight, that we are worth pursuing. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are found in you. In your name we pray. Amen.